So like I said earlier, um, we are going to pause from the book of Joshua, and we are going to do a sort of an intermission, an extended intermission, where we are going for the next five weeks, we are going to look at the Reformation. And uh, I've been here six years now, uh, as of this past September, and you know that every year I can't help myself. I, at some point, i got to talk about Martin Luther and the Reformation. I love that period in history. I love how God providentially worked through history uh, to bring about what he has brought about. Uh, but I've never done this before. Um, and uh, I, I, I wanted to just pause. And, um, and what's, what's funny is that as I was leading up through, and I called Christy last night, and she had already selected the songs. And... As I called her last night because I was really struggling with continuing in Joshua. And I have been for the last two or three weeks. Uh, and not that I don't love Joshua, I love it, but I wasn't exactly sure where to go. Uh, whether or not we should continue just preaching sort of like chapter by chapter, or if I should do some large expanses. And I was really struggling with this because there are benefits to both. And I was, I was torn even yesterday uh, with my plans and I was reading an article, and as I was reading the article, and I, I, I was actually in my hunting blind, reading my, reading my Bible on my phone. There's probably 15 deer that walked past me while I was reading, but that's okay. And I, I started reading an article that, because it's October, now things about the Reformation Day is coming up. And, and, and so I was reading that, and I thought, you know, we've never really taken time to go through what actually was happening. Why in the world are we Protestants? Like, why are we, you know? Why are we the protesters, if you will? And we've never done that. And we've, I've talked about it, you know, a Sunday here and a Sunday there. And so I thought it would be appropriate to just take the month of October and really kind of break that down. Now, this is not going to be a series of history lessons. So kids, don't worry about that. What this is, it's going to be a series of sermons that are going to be taken from Four of Martin Luther's 95 challenges to the Catholic Church. That's what it's going to be taken from, and it will culminate on our anniversary Sunday on October 30th, where we'll have our fall festival and anniversary Sunday and everything else. And so it's just going to be a real nice month looking at this. But in a sense, we're going to be looking at why do we believe what we believe? And so if you've ever looked at, if you've ever been in church, or if you've read something in a Bible study, or if you've heard another Christian talking about a certain doctrine or something like that, and you're sitting here thinking, why in the world? I know we do believe that. I know we're supposed to believe that. But why is it that we believe that, right? Because it is a really scary thing to believe things just because somebody told you to believe them. That's a very dangerous thing. Now, it's a great thing as a child, okay? As a child, that's why it's important to have godly parents raising godly children because early on, the, the little ones aren't going to get into their systematic theology and stuff and understand all the doctrine. They depend on us for that. But as we grow up and as we become teenagers and adults and as we start raising children and then grandchildren, it's important for us to know why is it, I mean, truly, we're all sitting here in a Southern Baptist church. We are Protestants. And it, I, I guarantee you that there are some parts of Protestantism, even Southern Baptist life, that we don't really no 
know why we believe it or why we do it. And so I want to take a few Sundays just to, just to look at that. And so by way of an introduction, let me just give, give you a little bit of a, a little brief history lesson. So the, kids, this is for you, okay? Because you're going to be learning this, all right? You may not learn everything about this, but you'll learn about something like this. In 1517, that was a long time ago, that was a little over 500 years ago, there were two major things happening, two major things happening that are strictly related to why we are Protestants today, why we are Southern Baptists, all right? There are two major things that were occurring. Number one, the Roman Catholic Church was building St. Peter's Basilica, all right? Have you all ever heard of St. Peter's Basilica before? Okay, that is the second largest church in the world. It's the second largest church, and arguably, it's the most beautiful church in the world. That is where Michelangelo put all of his artistic ability in. So the Roman Catholic Church was building St. Peter's Basilica. That's the first thing. The second thing that was happening was a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther got saved. Now you say, well, he was already a monk. He was a monk in the Catholic Church, but he wasn't saved yet. He wasn't saved. But the Lord, through Martin Luther's study, saved him. And we're going to look at the passage that changed Martin Luther's heart. So those two things were happening in fi- around 1517. But here's the deal. Let's look at St. Peter's Basilica real quick, that, that big, beautiful church, okay? It takes a lot of money to build those churches. And because it took a lot of money, it took a lot of finances, all right? It took a lot of, lot of combining finances. And the truth is they ran out of money. They, they were partway done with this church, and they couldn't finish it. So it's kind of like if you build a house, and all of a sudden, you got the roof on, but inside all you got are beams. So there's no toilet, there's no stove, there's no cabinets. Well, there might be half the cabinets, all right? Toy and Melvin know that, all right? <laughs> Poor things, we're praying for you guys, all right? But in all seriousness, okay, it's only halfway done. And none of us want to live in a home that's halfway done. And so the church was very worked up over this. We've got to figure out a way to raise money to pay for the rest of this church. Now, if they were Baptists, here's what they would have done. They would have held a chili luncheon. And then they would have had a cake auction. And they would have raised $100 for a $5 cake. Because that's what we do, right? A box cake from Walmart will bring $100 if you say it's to send kids to camp. All right? Something like that. Or they would have done car washes. All right? Could you have seen a bunch of monks raising money with a car wash? A little bit of a different uh, clothing attire, but that's another story, okay? But that's what they would have done if they were Southern Baptists, but not the Catholic Church. Here's what they did, kids. Instead of raising money in a good way. They did something, they sold something, but it wasn't an item. It's not like they sold coupon books or something like that, like you might do for Boy Scouts or for your baseball team. They sold indulgences. They sold indulgences. Now, if you're not familiar with what an indulgence is, this is it, okay? The monks, the priests, and even the papacy, the office of the Pope, told people that if you pay enough money you will earn salvation. You can pay for your salvation. Now, here's the problem with that. That went over like wildfire. 
people were handing money over, just handing money over, paying for these indulgences. They were buying their way out of purgatory, buying their way out of hell, and buying their way into heaven. More money, more money, more money going to the church to earn them a spot in heaven. Now, you can just imagine the class warfare that was going on here, right? The rich were able to pay a lot. They could get out of purgatory real quick. And the poor could only give a little bit. But don't you know they built that church on the backs of people believing in indulgences? And this is why I say that it's very important for us to know why we believe. Because, kids, if you look in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible will you ever see the word purgatory. You only see heaven and hell. And nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible, do you see a place where you can pay for your salvation. Now, just to be clear, our salvation was purchased, but not by us. It was purchased by the blood of Christ. When Martin Luther saw this, and around October 30th, you're thinking, well, why did it happen on October 31st? Martin Luther became more and more concerned about people paying for these indulgence or paying for their salvation. And so, I mean, they were indulging themselves on this, and he was growing more and more concerned. And then around All Saints Day, which is November 1st, the Catholic Church was bringing in all these relics that people were going to start to worship. They were going to start to praise all these things, these trinkets, these idols, if you will. And he got so concerned that he started writing challenges down to this, these challenges to Catholic doctrine. And he got so fed up, he took that list, those 95 things, and he took them to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he nailed them to the door. Now, here's the funny thing, and I think I've said this before. He had no intention on this being a thing. He just meant it to be a discussion. Like, you know, I have some problems with that. Let's talk about it, right? Here's the problem. Some people at the Castle Church in, Witt in Wittenberg saw that, some students did, and they were amazed by what he had to write. They had never seen anything like this based on Scripture because so many people were biblically illiterate. And so they made copies, not photocopies, all right? Canon did not exist yet, all right? But they copied these down and they started handing them out. And the Protestant Reformation began. The protesting began. This is why it's important for us to know why we believe. Because if we are in our Bible, if we study, we know, number one, that purgatory is not a thing. You don't die and then your soul go to some sort of intermediate state, some sort of holding place waiting for you, for your family, or for enough time to pass for you all of a sudden to gain admittance into heaven. When the thief on the cross told, asked Jesus to remember him when he gets to his kingdom, what did Jesus say? Jesus did not say, Jesus did not say, well, I will remember you, but you got to hang out in this purgatory for a little while while I'm up here with my dad. That is not what he said. What he said is, 
today you will be with me in paradise. There is no middle state. We either go to heaven or we go to hell. And folks, it does not matter how much money you have. It does not matter what your family is. It doesn't matter. You can't inherit it. You can't earn it. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. It is purely a gift of God. And in fact, if we go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, I'm going to try to quote it here. He says this. Paul says this. He says, we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of works, lest any man should boast, right? And then following that, he says this. He says, we were saved for good works. Now, I want you to catch that because all of you said, well, we're not saved by our works. But then he says we were saved. Catch what he says. He does not say we were saved by our works. He says we are saved for good works. That is a critical, critical component. And so the Reformation began. And it began really with the salvation of Martin Luther. And it began with Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. Now, you might think, well, how big was this indulgence thing? There was this one fellow named Johann Tetzel. Now, he was a monk, and he really believed in this indulgence, probably because he was taking some off the top, okay? And he even came up with a jingle. He even came up with a jingle. And it went something like this. When the gold in the kettle clings, a soul from purgatory springs. Doesn't that sound good? Now, let me be real clear about something here. We may look at that, and I know that we do. We look at this and we're like, buying our salvation. That's ridiculous. This is crazy, right? How in the world would we do this? And this happened over in Rome. That's where this was going on. The Eastern Orthodox Church was rejecting this big time, rejecting purgatory, all of it. But the truth is, and, and, and mind you, you all know me well enough when I say this, that I'm not being anti-American or anything, but you know what? Throwing money at problems is like the most American thing that, we, that can be done. It just is. We are over $30 trillion in debt because we throw money at stuff. I don't even know where that, I don't know what a trillion dollars even looks like. I have no idea what that looks like. Is there an interest rate on that? What do they do if we fault on our, do they come back and repossess Alaska? They can have California, not Alaska. Okay, I mean, I, I, I don't understand. What are they, do they repossess the Pentagon? You know, we make a habit of throwing money at stuff, at our problems. Now, there's another really good thing about us is that we work, we're known, right, in the USA, we're known for working really hard at grit, at having grit, of putting all of our effort in. And I'm thankful for that, folks. I will tell you right now that I want to work hard in my life. I like to work hard. I like to work hard and be productive. And I was even thinking, uh, I was thinking about our vacations. Like, I like to work hard even more than go on vacation, as long as the hard work is productive. That's just my nature. And 
it come to think of it, even our vacations, we're working hard. It's just the way we are. Crystal and I are planning a trip to Alaska right, next June for our 20th anniversary. We're planning a trip. We were going to do something on our 10th, and we bought a mattress instead. We were going to do something on our 15th, and I don't know, the kids did something. Kids, you know, just kids. Anyway, so we're like, we're going to do it on our 20th anniversary. We're going to go to Alaska. Now, what do most people do? They pay money for a cruise, and they get pampered on their trip. But no, Crystal and I can't do that. We can't do the pampered thing. We are going to buy, we're going to rent, not buy, we're going to rent a motorhome. And we're going to drive a motorhome from Anchorage all the way down to the peninsula, and we're going to sleep on the side of the road in one of those motorhomes. Now, folks, that's not a vacation, okay? That's work. But I'm going to tell you what, we're going to love every minute of it, okay? That hard work is in our bones, in our genes. Here's the problem, is that for many of us here, it makes sense that we could either buy, some, buy our way out of a problem or work our way out of a problem. But you cannot buy and you cannot work your way out of sin. It doesn't work like that. And that's why I think this works righteousness is so prevalent in our church today, even in good old Southern Baptist churches, because we value hard work. We value the mighty dollar. We do. We work hard to earn that money, and we think that we can pay our, we can pay our debt with that money. But there is no amount of money that can pay the debt of sin. And Martin Luther understood that. And so let us go into the Bible to this morning and briefly look at these two verses and explain them from the eyes of Martin Luther, but then apply them to our own lives. So I want us to be real clear about what's happening here. Kids, these verses make up, in a sense, why and how we are saved. Paul writes to the Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's look at the first point, and it's this. The power of God for salvation. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I, Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of it. I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to praise Christ all the way because of this. Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul is making very clear. He says, folks, the gospel is not just for the Jewish. It is for the Jews first and the Greeks. Jesus came from the Jews, all right? But it is for absolutely everyone. Now, this would have mattered to Martin Luther... Because there were so many individuals that had means just throwing money at their sin, trying to gain salvation after death. But Paul says very clearly that the gospel is not exclusive 
to the rich. It is not exclusive to Western United States. It's not exclusive to those who had these really godly parents. It is for everyone who believes. Believes. And then you say this, well, wait a minute, isn't believing a work? I mean, if I believe something, am I not doing something? Here's the catch to this. If you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, if Kata, if you believe in Jesus this morning, Luke Jackson, if you believe in Jesus this morning, you did not come to that belief on your own. You did not look through the Bible on your own, the Roman road, go to John 3.16, go to Ephesians, go to Revelation, even jump back to Genesis. You did not read that stuff on your own and then all of a sudden say, yeah, I've studied enough that now I believe. The only way that we come to faith in Christ or belief in Christ is if we are gifted that faith. And so you have no room to boast. None. Yet the church was telling the people that anyone could be saved if they did the right order of things. If they got confirmed, if they took the Lord's Supper, if they were sprinkled, if they gave enough money to pay for their way out of purgatory. If you did all these things, you could earn salvation. Now, I want to pause just for a second because you might be thinking, man, he is really bashing the Catholic Church. I'm not. <laughs> I, I, let me say this. There are some very faithful, godly Christian individuals that also are Catholics. Just like there are some evil, hedonistic Southern Baptists. Yet the doctrine of the Catholic Church will leave you lost. And Martin Luther knew that. Because you cannot earn your salvation. There are not enough relics. You cannot pray to Mary enough to earn your salvation. I love Mary, the mother of Jesus. She will not save you. I'm sure I would have liked most of those saints. They're not going to save you. But the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, if you go by this works righteousness, then not everyone, has, not everyone can believe then. Because not everybody's going to have the ability to do it. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is it's not about you. It's about what Jesus has done for you. It's what Jesus has done. So, Drake, it does not matter how many old women you walk across the street. That will not earn you Jesus. Kata, I love your artwork. But it does not matter how many pretty pictures that you give to Miss Sue. It will not, still not save you. It won't. And Sue knows this. Sue makes masks and blankets and bears, and all kinds of wonderful things, bringing joy to people, to me, to everybody who's gotten, I mean, we, we went through COVID, we, we were not light on masks. 
I was handing out masks to people at work. Who made that? Who made those masks? Oh, this sweet woman at my church. You ought to come and join us for church. You might get an extra mask and a blanket and a teddy bear. And after all of that, Sue knows that none of that earns her Christ. But that is a fruit of what Christ has done in her. That is a fruit of what Christ has done in her life. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Point number two. In verse 17 it says, For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Now this was the verse that really got Martin Luther fired up. So I want you to catch what Paul writes here, okay? He says, For in it, in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God. Let's just pause right there. There are some, there some believe that it is your righteousness that we acquire that gives us salvation. But what does the Bible say? There is no righteousness in us. There is none. So when somebody says, how can God allow bad things to happen to good people? And Paul would say, there are no good people. There are none. From a spiritual, eternal sense, we are all marred by sin. We are all treasonous. And you may say, what about little kids, folks? You have kids longer than just a few days. You'll realize that there's original sin even in those kids. It does not take long. It does not take long. And so, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news... That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The righteousness of God is revealed. And see, the beautiful thing about this is that the gospel reveals that while, while we are unholy, while we are sinful, that God's righteousness it's, exceeds our sin to such an extent that it covers us and that we are then counted as righteous. I find that to be phenomenal, that the righteousness of God has the power to count us righteous when we believe. And it is revealed, and he says this, it is revealed from faith for faith. Let's break that down. So Martin, this was really important to Martin Luther because First it says, from faith. We, outside of faith, if we are not caused, gifted faith by God, we cannot see or experience the revealed righteousness of God. So to an unbeliever, the gospel, at best, is just hocus pocus. At worst... It is an offense and a stumbling block. 
So outside of faith, before we were believers, the gospel was either we just ignored it, or it was a burden, or it was an offense. But when we are gifted faith, then what happens is the righteousness of God is revealed and we can say, praise God. Praise God. It is revealed from faith for faith. It is for our faith that it is revealed. So that we would believe and be saved and we would continue believing throughout. Because isn't that the thing about faith? Is that when we it is faith is not something that you can develop on your own. You do not take your own seed, plant it, and all of a sudden you have this faith that grows. Faith is given to us by the Lord. If it is something that we can create, then it's no longer faith. It's no longer faith because our eyes can see it. We can comprehend it. You see, because here's the deal with faith. In the end, I can preach every day, all day long. We can do Bible studies. I can go through the Greek. I can go through the Hebrew. I can go through the Latin. I can go through all of it. All right? We can go through all of this stuff, learn all this systematic theology, all this biblical theology. And in the end, there's going to be a point where Lucas is going to ask me a question about the Bible, and I'm just going to have to say, I don't know. I don't know. And it's not because I'm not smart enough. It's not because it's 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 not because I'm I, I don't have enough schooling. Lord, I don't, you know. If I have to take any more schooling, I just don't know what I do with myself, okay? But here's the truth. It's that sometimes we just have to believe. We just have to believe. Case in point. How is it? How is it that God is completely in control, completely sovereign over absolutely everything, even our salvation, yet at the same time we have human responsibility? How does that work? How is that mathematically possible? Now, I struggled with that early in my, in my walk with Christ. I struggled with that because I'm an analytical guy and I want to I work it out, right? I want to figure it out. I want to find out how does this work. But now, 20, 25 years later, as I've matured as a Christian, I'm not trying to work that out now. I am fully comfortable in saying this. God is sovereign even over my salvation, yet I have human responsibility. And I don't know exactly how they work out, but I believe it because God says so. I believe it because that's what His Word says. And I'm going to believe that. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm, some, that would just drive, it doesn't drive me nuts at all. Why? Because I trust God. I trust that He loves me. I trust that God wants what's best for me. And I trust that even if I don't understand it, the God of the universe does. Some folks worry like, well, what if, you know, the laws of physics all of a sudden go scatter and we go flying off? I'm not worried about that. 
I'm not worried about that. What if all these nations start throwing nuclear bombs? I'm not worried about that. Why? Because God is in control. And when you come to the point in your life when you can give, when you can just say, I believe that God has this. I believe that God has this and I'm just going to walk by faith and I'm not going to walk by sight. I cannot tell you the amount of freedom and peace that comes with that. There is living sort of in complacency and apathy and this kind of carefree attitude that is unbiblical, where you're irresponsible and you're procrastinating and you're, and, and you're lazy and you just don't have this care. Folks, that's not biblical. That's just, that's just immature. But then there is this peace that comes with being so secure in trusting Christ with your life, with your children's life, with your, grand, with your grandchildren's life, with your job. There's a peace that comes with that after a time where you're just like, the Lord's got this. The Lord has this. And that peace can only come through the gospel. I absolutely believe that many cases of anxiety and depression, and by the way, I believe that depression is real. I believe anxiety is real, okay? But I also believe that many cases is because we are trying to control things that we're not meant to control. And we get worked up about it. Instead, we just need to sit back and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you in this, and I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to fret. Which leads us to the last point, that the righteous will live by faith. And that's the title of our sermon series. When it says that the righteous will live by faith, make no bones about it. It is not your righteousness that we're talking about here. It is the righteousness that has been counted to you by Christ. So what we could say here is those who have been deemed righteous by the blood of Christ, those who have been counted righteous by the blood of Christ, now walk by faith. And what does it look to walk by faith? Number one, it, here's what it looks like to walk by faith. It is to stand up for the sake of Christ, to not be ashamed of the gospel in the face of adversity. When you have individuals mocking you, maligning you, persecuting you, anything like that, you are going to stand up for the gospel. You are not going to be ashamed of it. You are, you are okay with being counted as backwards and weird and maybe even bigoted or anything like that because you are not ashamed of the gospel. It is walking and living life not free of anxiety, not free of worry, but not paralyzed by it. Because you know that Christ has this. You know that God is in control of this. Here's the thing. If God is in charge of your salvation, God is also in charge of your cabinets, Toya. He is in charge of Lucas's college. He is in charge of all of these things. 
If, if God cares about your salvation and your well-being so much so that He would send His Son to die for you, He is not going to look past anything that might burden you or cause you worry. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. To walk by faith is to live a life completely dependent upon Christ. Completely dependent upon Christ. And we will struggle with that, and I struggle with that. I daily struggle with that. There are, this is not to say that I do not sit down at times and worry about my kids. I do. Or I worry about my parents. Or I worry about my wife. Or I worry about my church. And I fret over it. But the righteous who live by faith will take a step back. And say, Lord, I confess I am anxious about this. I am worried about this. And I do not know what's going to happen. Please take this from me. Take this from me. And deal with this, Lord. As only you can. As only you can. There are so many challenges in this life that we experience. So many. That trying to handle them all with our feeble humanity, not only is it impossible, it's lunacy. Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane bled, bled sweat because of all this pressure that was on him about what is to come. If Christ, the Son of God, was dealing with that amount of pressure, How is it do, that we feel like that we can handle that on our own? When Christ, the Son of God, goes to the Father and says, If it be your will, take this cup from me. If it's your will, let this suffering pass from me. If the Son of God is saying that, on His knees in prayer, what prevents us from going to the Father and saying, Father, Take this from me. Take this worry. Take this anxiety. Help me to live in peace. And help me to understand that I will walk by faith. I will not work by my own works. I will not try to do this on my own. But I give this to you, Lord. Martin Luther understood 
that after all his study that he was going through, Martin Luther was brilliant. He was a genius. He was well-versed in the languages. He was well-versed in law. He chose to become a monk after a supernatural providential event. He was, he was the most studied of all of his peers. He stood out amongst all of his peers. He would have been the monk of all monks. And yet the Lord floored him with the simple reality is that everything that you have done matters not if you are not my child. And Martin Luther understood that there are millions of people that are dying and going to hell because they believe that their effort will earn them a spot with the Father when it's only by the blood of Christ. So over the next several weeks, here's what I hope. Number one, I hope that you learn a little bit more about the Reformation and that point of history. I'm not a history teacher, but I love that period in history. It's phenomenal. It's just, um, it's, it's unbelievable, the providence of God and how it all came to fruition. So I'm going to share a little bit about that. But more importantly, here's what I hope you all get out of this. Number one, number two, I hope that you understand a little bit more about where we came from, from a, from a, from a theological perspective. Like, why do we believe? Why are we at where we're at? But number three, why does it even matter? Why does it matter? For my, why, do, why does it matter that the righteous shall live by faith? And so that when, you, when we get done with this, my hope is that you'll, be, you, you'll just be a little lighter. You'll be a little lighter. You'll be a little bit more at peace. Not because of anything that I said, but just because it, that we're opening God's Word and the revealed Word of God is just showing us that God's got this. He really does. Whether it be the smallest anxiety in your life or the biggest worry in your life, God knows about it. God cares about it. And God is working in it. All three of those things. And it's our job just to trust. To trust, to be patient, and to have faith. I'll finish by saying this. Recently, Crystal and I were talking about just life in general, especially here recently, that we'd been really praying about some things in our own life. And I'll even admit that there was some concern and there was some worry and stuff. And I think that I could say this for both of us and I, this is not us patting ourselves on the back, it's just the reality, is that we are starting to see God's timing in everything. Just, God's going to work at His own timing. And, and it's our job to simply trust His timing.
us pray. Lord, we do thank you. We do give you the praise this morning. And I pray that we would be a people that would walk by faith, not by sight, that we would be a people that would live by faith. Father, I pray that over the course of the next several weeks that we would learn to trust you more, that you would grow our faith and stir our affections for Christ. And that we would be daily reminded that the same God that cared enough to send his son for us cares about every single component of our life. Lord, we love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.